Welcome to the Let's Talk About Talking podcast with your host, Adrian Fuller, language and communications expert for kids of all ages. On this podcast, we talk about speech, language, and all things happening with your child, giving you specific tactical information you can use to help your kids talk, listen, and thrive in their academic journey. You guys, and we are pressing towards this new school year and wrapping by the time this airs will be we'll be wrapping it up and I, before we ended like the school year I did want to speak with one of my favorites in the building guys because I am so happy to have Kim Grubbs with me she is otherwise known as Speechy Kim I I don't know lately I've been really running into some real great speech and language gems. Like I am so encouraged for our field in the in, in the speech and language field and I just oh she's another one like a rising star for sure. She owns Seeds of Care Pediatric Therapy Services located in Texas. Uh she's in Texas. What part of Texas are you in? I'm in Houston. Oh, you're in Houston. Wow, I went to Houston back in February. I'm like, man, your city is spread out. (laughs) It is so spread out. But do you, can I call you Kim or Kimberly? You can call me Kim. That's fine. Welcome, Kim. (laughs) I'm so glad to have you. Um, I think what really stood out to me is your love of AAC. Um, and I am trying to stop using a whole lot of acronyms. And so for anyone listening, AAC is augmentative and alternative and alternative communication. communication. (laughs) Thank you. Um, and so before we even start that, tell me how you got on this path and then how you fell in love with AAC. Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Kimberly. Um, I'm a speech language pathologist in Houston. Um, I attended the University of Southern Mississippi for my undergrad, and I attended Louisiana State University for my grad school um, experience. And during that experience, I got to participate in a AAC lab. Um, and one of my um, clinical instructors, she had a private practice at the time um, that was merged with the clinic, mm. but that clinic got closed down. So she had all of this technology from grants that she had won and earned. Mm-hmm. Um, and that technology was then brought on campus um, to collaborate with the um, Louisiana State University campus clinic. And so after that, um, one of our professors who um, was her one of her special interests and focus for research was AAC. Um, she um, she collaborated with the instructor to provide us with opportunities to um, provide um, AAC devices to children in the state of Louisiana, adults in the state of Louisiana um, that may have had different genetic disorders. Um, we collaborate a lot with Team Gleason, um, mm-hmm. which was founded by um, the like, sorry, it was founded by um, the team for team Steve Gleason, who was a football player in Louisiana. 
um, but he has ALS. Um, so over time, they've created this foundation for him and for children who have um, spinal muscular atrophy. Hmm. Um, they've provided a lot of um, like technology and AAC devices and grants for families to receive those devices. So I got to work um, with the clinic to collaborate with those different wow. um, organizations, mm -hmm. Toby Donovox, PRC Saltillo representatives that came to our campus and we got to complete evaluations for um, families in the community. Um, so yeah, that's how I got involved with AAC. Wow. Let me tell you, now this is me and I'm hoping over the course of this episode, you can assuage my fears, but AAC is so overwhelming to me. Like I can do the low tech. So for any parent listening, when we're talking about AAC, we're talking about devices that kids use that don't talk and the machine basically talks or communicates for them. And it can be as simple as like a button that you push that'll say a phrase or two or it can go into this very complicated, not complex, not complicated, complex system where I've heard people make speeches using their device. So anything is possible, but I just find it to be like, well, where, where do we start? So in your own words, what is AAC, Kim? So I think of AAC as a as many things like first I see it as like a voice mm. you know like for people who are unable to use their voice um due to like different health concerns mm -hmm. or they may not you know have the capacity to use their voice um or I see it as a tool a tool to supplement in different situations where the complexity of speech may be too high Hmm. Uh, how to explain this i like that they yeah like a tool to support in those very high mm -hmm. um contextual situations that more language is needed in um there was one more thing i was thinking of but those are the two main things that i see it as um especially for like my um autistic children um definitely getting them a, a communication device for my children with down syndrome who I've worked with cerebral palsy, who I work with, just finding that tool to help them to um, be able to communicate with their um, communication partners, their family, people in the community, their siblings, um, mom, dad, caretakers, etc. So um, on my end, I'm an elementary school based speech language pathologist. So I get to see from you know, children from three years old mm -hmm. all the way up until um, 12 years of age, right? So I get to see a lot of those big changes of time from, like, preschool age language mm -hmm. all the way up until, like, more, um, more complex, um, you know, language. So getting to provide children with AAC devices as a tool is definitely something I, I value, so... So yeah, I see it as a tool for sure. I love that you said tool. I mean, I'll just circle back to that. You said it's a voice. Like, honestly, even in my clinical practice, I don't know if I've ever looked at it like that. And then you said a tool. And like, once I have a friend that she's just like you, like she is an AAC. I mean, she's amazing. Like the, the county uses her as a resource. Like, I'm sure yeah. that's where you're going. And 
But she was, I was like, well, I just don't know what to do. And it's so complicated. And she's like, you're just teaching language, Adrian. <laughs> like, it is language, right? Like, it's just language. But it, that's just a tool they're using and not their voice. Yes. So, if, I guess my question is, like, what are some of your favorite devices? Like, uh, if someone had to say, hey, you have carte blanche, you can do whatever you want. Tell me some of your favorites that you've run into along the way. Yeah, so, like, as an all-time favorite, I love core boards. So, I refer to um, different core boards where, um, like, say if I'm working with a student and their language, they still need some support with expressive language or even receptive language, too. Um, I'll use a core board for different activities or a fringe board. A fringe board is something... Um, that can be modified to fit with specific activities or storybooks. Um, so I use a lot of fringe boards, like specifically for like Pizza Cat or um, Valentine's Day, winter, different things like that. Um, I use core boards specific to like the activity or holiday event, etc. Um, I for mid tech. So the first one I described was like more low tech. The second one is like mid tech. And yes. let me just stop you right there. So when you say core boards. Because we're audio, is that just like a board of pictures? So a core board is, um, yes, so it's like a, a picture-based um, picture visual, mm-hmm. um, sorry. No. <laughs> yes, it's a picture-based system, and there's different um, parts of speech. It's using um, different core vocabulary that mm. is uh, words, verbs that are found and used more often when we're communicating rather than more descriptive uh, words like um, adjectives and um, different things like that. So okay. words like go, um, come, up, um, let's see, more, all done, different phrases like that, which are very functional um, and they can be used in a variety of contexts. Um, so core boards have that. <laughs> nice. um, and they can range from more um a simplistic like one page um or more complex which may be um a booklet or a binder oh. or things like that with different tabs um but yeah that can be low tech visuals and core boards yes okay okay so that's low tech because it's something the kid can carry around with them or the adult that's with them but what about mid tech yeah so mid tech that's when we get into our um, devices like a GoTalk 9 or um, a GoTalk uh, 12. So those are devices that they use some type of battery power, um, but they're not as sophisticated as like your more high-tech um, devices that have application-based software in them. So mid-tech is like more of um, like a device where you put batteries in it, you record your voice over it, there may be a grid, mm-hmm. and you um, have to program each one individually mm-hmm. each row each grid individually to use it okay and so how about the very high tech what would that look like yes yeah, so high tech um like in the school system we use a lot of like ipads or tablets programmed with um applications so applications such as lamp which is um one that's commonly known or touch chat or um Hello, quote to go, different apps like that, which are um, found in like the Apple store and you'll be able to buy it. And even if you don't um, 
or not getting a device through the school, you can buy it on your own, like the application. So um, those are more sophisticated ones you can use on the cell phone or on the iPad or mm-hmm. even like if you go through a specific company, like um, two well-known companies are PRC Saltillo and uh, Toby Dynavox, and they have their different range of devices and um, you'll go through a trialing process and device selection with the representative and it's very... Um, a, a wide range of complex devices with robust vocabulary. It can be very, it can be complex, but yes. this conversation is even making me feel more comfortable. And I hope okay. even the listeners more comfortable with that. So we have low, mid-tech and high-tech. Now, as far as cost goes, mm-hmm. are we talking about, what are we talking about? Is this run through insurance? Is it private pay does the school pay for it yes so with low-tech devices um like the visuals and things like that those can be easily found online um like one i reference a lot is one by prc saltillo this is not sponsored but um one i (laughs) i um reference a lot is one they have a lot of free resources on their website um so that's free and the mid-tech devices, they're provided through my school district. Um, we have access to some um, to provide to different teachers in our SPED classrooms, our life skill classrooms, et cetera, that need to you know, help support mm-hmm. um, the children who may not have a actual, um, actual like, excuse me, actual like device dedicated to them. Sorry, that's what I meant. Uh-huh. But um, in the more sophisticated AAC devices, you can receive them in a school setting. We can complete applica- or we can complete evaluations to help them get one quicker because the evaluation process can be, can be. forty five days or thirty days. So that's a quick process. That is quick. And then through insurance, um, it may be longer due to um, it be being complete completed outside um in a clinic or things like that um and so there may be revisions needed to the um to the application that's trials um different things um your insurance may or may not approve the trials etc so it may be a lot of mm-hmm. back and forth of mm-hmm. like making edits and changes with the insurance company but this is not to discourage anyone um if you do think that you know you need a device and your doctor says hey we believe that, you know, this child would benefit from a device um, and that speech language pathologist they're working with says, hey, we, we know this child will, will um, benefit from this device. I would say definitely go through with that. She, with that process. she brings up a real good point, you guys, um, all listeners, especially when you're dealing with insurance, guys, it's not easy or quick, but you do have to be, oh, I encourage you to be that squeaky wheel for your kid. You have to be their advocate. And if there's something you really believe in, don't don't give up. Just press on, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so if I'm a newbie parent, I guess before I even ask that, is there an age that's too young to start with AAC? No. Um, I've seen, not from my own experience, but I've seen as young as two years old, three years old being introduced to AAC and um, with the new, um, like there's a neurodiversity movement going through our field right now, yes. which I heavily support. Um, it There's a phrase 
that you may have heard is is known as presumed competence. Mm -hmm. And so that's despite whether um, the child's, you know, abilities or their age or their um, cognitive levels, et cetera, presumed competence that they they will be able to use it. Um, And always, you know, try to start with something more robust first. Um, If you may not have access to it, yes, I would say go ahead and and use core boards, mid-tech, et cetera. But, um, but yeah, if I was um, recommending it, it's not, it's never too young to start using AAC. Um, Just, just start, just, just try it. (laughs) So did I hear you right? And you said, start with something more robust, like more complex, really? But that makes sense, right? Like even in articulation therapy, the research is showing when we start with the harder sounds, the child will sometimes or many times go back and get those easier. And I have that in air quotes, listeners, quicker. So are you saying it's the same thing with AAC? Yes, I, I say that a lot of the research has supported starting with a more robust um, robust language system will help the child's language to grow over time. Very interesting. Okay, that's awesome. Wow, like so many aha moments. Love that. So if you're a parent, mm-hmm. a parent that's really overwhelmed with a child that's not yet speaking, mm-hmm. what do you what would you recommend that they do first? So I would definitely reach out to the speech language pathologist that they, you know, that may be working with their child um, and just saying, hey, you know, while I was doing some research, I saw something about AAC. And can you tell me more about that? Can you tell me how this may, you know, possibly, quite possibly benefit my child? And is there a way for me to try it? Okay. Um, we always have to say this because there's always a parent who thinks, well, I want him to talk. I don't want a machine to talk for him. What do you say to parents that might be thinking that? And I can understand that that's part of the, I don't want to say the grieving process, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that is a hard, that's a hard truth about, about the, um, about situations like that right Mm -hmm. the parents they want the best for their child right and and it's hard Mm -hmm. but I think that we all we as professionals we have to support them and let them know like yes I understand where you're coming from Mm -hmm. Um, but there's also been a great deal of research to to support and show that children who may um, be minimally speaking or not speaking they can make progress with these and it it benefits children who, um, you know, may not have, mm-hmm. um, or let me reword, that may be mainly speaking or mainly verbal. verbal. Um, the research has supported verbal growth and mm-hmm. um, language growth, right? So um, I would just continue to show the research and um, just support them because part of our, our job as well as speech language pathologists is that counseling piece too so we're getting to use that in those moments and especially not just for children you know even for adults with ALS um that's you know that over time they you know their function um with voice and Mm -hmm. mobility um it decreases over time so Mm -hmm. just allowing them to know like hey um and even for 
their voice in that moment when they first reach out for a evaluation, they can do voice banking to save their voice and record it over. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there's different passages they can read that get like a full spectrum of their voice being used um, for a bunch of different common words and they can have their voice programmed into their device. So that way as their voice does, um, I don't want to say deteriorate over time, Mm -hmm. um, they can still have access to their voice. They may not be able to um, produce it themselves. They'll have their voice on a device for them. I hope that makes sense. So it d- I would say- Let me tell you why you see the crazy expression on my face. We have I have a dear friend who recently lost her husband to ALS. And so anytime I hear that, I'm thinking, wow, we could have, like, it would have been awesome to have that, what do you call it, voice baking? Did yeah, you- voice baking. Yeah, banking. And so to have that and to have those, those utterances, I don't know that that just is... I never thought of it that way. Like sometimes we're fighting things that really we will appreciate in the end. So I think if you're listening out there and you you're totally closed off to it, please know it's an option. And just like Kim said, it's a voice, it's their voice and it's a tool. It doesn't. And if, if you're a parent that's considering this, we're not saying we're not saying it's forever. So, but it, Maybe, but I'm saying if you look at it more of a tool and not oh, well, we're just giving up on on verbalizations. Like I just feel like it's just an option. It's a great option. Yes, I I agree. It's a great option for sure. So let's just we're gonna wrap up in just a second. But can you talk to the therapists, therapists like myself, Speechy Kim, that are like oh. I just, I don't do it. I just don't do, I don't do uh, AAC, but I don't think it's fair as, you know, if we're in the schools, if we're, it's not really fair if our kids need it and we say, well, this intimidates me. I can't use it. So how can we as therapists prep ourselves to show up for our kids in this way? Yes. So I think overall, we fear what we don't know. Ooh, right? yeah. And Ooh. She said a bar, guys. Just because you don't know it, don't fear it. That's right. I love that. Yeah, so I know, like, from, let's see, a few, like, a few years ago. I won't say a few years ago, but, you know, thinking of, like, maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago, there weren't many classes for AAC as they are now, right? Like, a lot of um, practicing professionals in our field didn't have the access to the exposure to mm-hmm. AAC as now, you know, we have access to more of it, right? So I think that, like, just as any other um, area in our field, right, like, if we don't know something about it, and that's mm-hmm. part of our evidence-based practice as well, right? Like, we look at the research, we look at um, you know, what are the latest studies to look at? What is the latest um, and best practice for um, different areas of our, you know, scope of practice? So um, I think that as professionals, yes, we need to learn about it, right? So mm-hmm. with the way that technology is changing and advancing, um, this is definitely a great um 
like like I said, a tool to help, you know, those who are mainly speaking, mainly verbal, etc. So I think that number one, first we, you know, we do research to um, looking for CEUs. Mm. Um, so like there's Great different idea. websites and different conferences. Like, for example, Practical AAC is one that comes to mind. Um, there's a conference called ATIA. Um, there's another conference um, called AAC in the Cloud. Um, and that takes takes place during the summer. Um, and just other different AAC um, CEUs, just looking at those and just continue to build exposure right and if there's a like a child on your caseload or a patient on your caseload and you feel like you've exhausted you know the tools to support this child and Mm -hmm. different techniques or this adult etc you know it wouldn't hurt to um consider AAC so I just think that it's just all it's all about exposure right so the Mm -hmm. more you become exposed to it the better you know you get at it and it's a learning process like it's okay to make mistakes in the process like for example when I'm modeling on an AAC device with my client I might accidentally press the wrong word when I'm like literally two buttons over from the right word right and that's okay I'll just say oops wrong word you know and just (laughs) come back to the right word and find the appropriate word and keep going um but like in this process it's okay to make mistakes and um yeah, and that's just how we learn. We mm-hmm. learn by doing and and just gaining more exposure. So for all therapists, I say that are intimidated, just give it a try. Like you don't um don't need to worry. Just Mm-mm. just try it out. Just just do. Mm, look at you. Just do. So things that come to mind on my end, if you're in a school system you can always reach out to somebody in your district because someone's doing AAC in a great way. And I feel like speech therapists are collaborative people. Like we love sharing, teaching, showing. So I think it's a great way, especially if you're a new therapist, to make a friend, to make an ally. Um, And also, guys, I'm going to point you back to the Speechy Kim Instagram page. It's really full of amazing content. So sometimes I find myself like just mindlessly scrolling, which is fine. No judgment on my part. But then sometimes we can make that scrolling a little bit more intentional by looking up things like this. And like you had these two big old button things in one of your posts. I was like, oh, she's a real one. She's amazing. Thank I love. I appreciate so if if anyone is on the fence, if if any parents on the fence, what would you tell them about? Hey, b- between using AAC and not, what what's your case for it? Yes, I would say most definitely to reach out to other families whose children may be using it to find support. Yes, and see how, like, you know, hypothetically, you can see something online and be like, oh, you know, this may or may not work. But when you see or meet someone who's doing it mm-hmm. every day and finding someone and they may need support too, right? So like finding that um, group of support, whether it's other families or um, other professionals in the area who are familiar with it and don't mind, you know, talking to you mm-hmm. about AAC, right? Just finding that that group of people who, who are willing to walk that path with you right Mm -hmm. you got to find your tribe wow it's like something i'm hearing over and over again Uh, kim how can people reach out to you 
Oh, yes. Um, you can find me on Instagram at speechykim. Um, my email is speechykim at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, feel free to reach me on there. Thank you so much. This has really been a very eye-opening half hour for me. I really enjoyed it. I really, you, I do interviews and I love it. But sometimes when I'm like, oh gosh, I just learned something. I, and I'm always learning. Like, I don't want to give that impression. But this is like something I can do and take away and do tomorrow. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you guys for joining us. Have a good one. Bye. You've been listening to the Let's Talk About Talking podcast with your host, Adrian Fuller, language and communications expert for kids of all ages. You can grab Adrian's book, 30 Days to Get Your Toddler Talking, on Amazon or at speechbuilders.org.